0: This is one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible. Uh, I love just the the way that Luke uses this story to kind of sum up uh, the presentation that he has made of the gospel. He uses this to show uh, false teaching, and um, he really lets us see a very personal side of Jesus. And so, um, let's dig in. So, if we just take the story at face value... We start out with that very day. So we know that um, that very day is the same day that we were talking about before, which is Sunday. So on the very Sunday that Jesus was raised from the dead, that very day there were two of them that were going to a, a village named Emmaus. So a couple of things we can pick up from this is in between the ladies coming back and saying, hey, something's happened, the disciples leaving and coming back, and them actually seeing Jesus, these guys uh, had to go home. So Emmaus is, as the text says, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And so we know that the average person can walk about two to three miles an hour. And so you're looking at two and a half, three hours for them to get from where they were in Jerusalem to Emmaus. So it's not a, not a long walk, I mean, it's a long walk for us as Americans that we get out of breath if we have to get up and go to the TV. I mean, I've I've gone before for like a week watching the same TV channel because I was too lazy to get up and change the channel because the batteries died in the remote. But big picture, it's not a really long walk between Jerusalem and Emmaus. And as people are wanting to do, as they're walking along, they're chatting with each other. They're talking about things. So, and they're talking about the things that had happened. And Luke places this right after he tells us all of the uh, the story of the resurrection. So that very day, uh, we know it's the first day of the week that everything happened, and they're talking to each other. So Jesus himself draw near and went with him. Now, they're walking along, and this is a public road. Um, this is a Open place, so some guy comes along beside him and, and literally asks, uh, they don't recognize him. Okay, so I've heard whole sermons on this text that dealt with why they didn't recognize him. Some have said that because they so, were so sad, they were so overwhelmed with grief, that they didn't recognize him. But the text really says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So it's pretty clear that there was a there was supernatural aspect involved. And the story is briefly told in Mark. And Mark says, after these things, he, Jesus, appeared in another form to two of them. So he didn't look exactly like himself. So here they are. They, they didn't recognize him. Jesus looks a little different for some reason. And we really don't know why. Um, but Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? So imagine, if you will, two people. They're walking along. They're talking with each other about what has happened, all of this crazy stuff that has happened. They've been there as the crowd celebrated Jesus as he came into the city. They've been there as Jesus taught this whole week, as we've studied for the last few months. They were there as Jesus... Uh, the crowds turned and, and they were turned, Jesus has turned over. They're discussing this. And Jesus said, Hey, what are y'all talking about? I mean, it's just some guy walks up beside them as they're walking. So, what you talking about? Very natural, very down to earth. And they didn't immediately respond because they are so distraught. And here Luke tells us um, who the disciple is Cleopas. Now, we don't know exactly who Cleopas is, church tradition has taught that it's the same Cleopas that we read about in Luke, um, or I'm sorry, in the book of John. And this is what the text says in John. But standing by the cross of Jesus, were his mother, so when Jesus was crucified, at his feet he's got his mom, his mother's sister, a lady named Mary, and the text says the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so, traditionally, the church has said that the two people who are walking are Cleopas and his wife, Mary. That's the two disciples. Now, we can't say that with certainty because the text doesn't go into any other details, but in my mind as I study this story, I like to think it's a husband and wife that are walking along talking about this horrible thing that has happened. Now remember, they left Jerusalem, and Cleopas is going to tell this stranger all the details that he knows, but they leave Jerusalem. There's only this rumor afoot that Jesus has been raised. They don't know for certain that this has happened. They haven't seen anything with their eyes, and clearly, the text says, they stood still looking sad. So they're walking along, can you believe it? And then this Jesus guy walks up and says, hey, what are y'all talking about? And they're just overwhelmed with their sorrow. And they, Cleopas says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? I mean, this is kind of a smart-alecky answer, right? Are, are you the only person in this entire county that doesn't know what happened? Because everybody, clearly the implication, is talking about this. Remember how often as we looked at Holy Week, there were crowds. Remember that, as Matt pointed out, when the crowd came to arrest Jesus, it was about half of a century, uh, of, of a century that came, is what, the, is what the text tells us. So you've got a big crowd of people that came along with the guards. They just wanted to see the show. I mean, I heard, heard the expression before, you never have to invite people to a house fire right? If there's something going on, everybody's going to go see what's going on. And so as these guards left to go arrest Jesus, a crowd goes with them. There's a crowd that's in, that Pilate invites into the chambers when he makes his decision. And so all these people, as the old commercial show, told somebody who told somebody who told somebody. So the whole city is talking about what's going on. And so Cleopas looks at this uh, Cleopas looks at Jesus and says, Are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? I mean, this is the first century way of saying, Duh. Jesus answers them, What things? Now, one of the commentaries that I read pointed out the delicious irony that Cleopas says, Are you the only one who doesn't know and in reality, the person that they're talking to is the only one who really does know the whole story and who understands all the implications of what has happened. And so there's a little bit of literary irony being laid out here as Cleopas is, duh. And Jesus is like, all right, Bigan, tell me. What things? It's kind of like when our kids are like, Dad, duh, and you're like, all right, walk me through it then. You, you know everything, let me know what's going on. And so then we get the gospel according to Cleopas. Cleopas lays out really beautifully the gospel only missing one thing. So let's, let's listen to what Cleopas said. He said, Jesus, ask him, what, what things does, is everybody talking about? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. So there's a guy named Jesus, he's from Nazareth, he's a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. That is a great way to say it. Not only is this guy an unbelievable preacher, but he backs it up with the things that he does. I can tell you from experience, the preaching is easy. The hard part is living it out out there. And, and Jesus is said he is a prophet who's both mighty in word. He can preach. He can hold the crowd. He can teach in an unbelievable way. And, oh, my gosh, the things that he can do. This guy has essentially banished sickness from Israel. Anybody he comes across, he heals them. In fact, the only time he, it says he doesn't heal anybody is or many, is when he's in his hometown. And if you think about that, that doesn't mean he failed to heal people. It means that the sick people didn't go to him, which is a huge lesson in and of itself. Because how many prayers aren't answered because we never pray them? So that's an aside. That's for free. You don't have to pay for that one. Before God and all the people. So not only is he mighty in word and deed, there's a lot of people who are mighty in word that are embarrassment to God. It's not, I mean, there are lots of preachers that don't know what they're talking about. And they preach false doctrine. God's watching this preacher and he's got him. He's right. That harder part is his deeds, not only in front of people are good, They're mighty indeed before God. Whenever someone, I I see people walking around sometimes and there's a t-shirt that a few years ago became much more popular, but I still see them around and it says, only God can judge me. And I really want to stop people who are wearing that and say, do you really know what that means? Because God can see your heart. You see, a prosecuting attorney can only prosecute you for what you've done, but God knows what we're thinking, and there's not a person alive that can live up to their own moral standard, much less God's. And so, this is a huge statement that Cleopas made, that he's mighty in deed and word before God and the people. Then he goes on to say, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death... And crucified him. So up to this point, we're just about at the Apostles' Creed, man. Cleopas has got it down. And then the disappointment. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Now think about what that's saying. When Jesus was doing the mighty deeds and preaching the mighty sermons, we hoped he was the one. We thought he was. And now, you know, he talked a lot. Starting way back in Matthew 16, he talks a lot about how, hey, I'm going to be delivered over to the the Gentiles and I'm going to be persecuted and I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm coming back. Cleopas is saying... The third day, and all we got is rumors. He's the disappointment. God hasn't met his expectations. God hasn't done what he thought he was. God hasn't done things the way Cleopas thought that God should do them. He said he was coming back on the third day. It's the third day, and me and Mama are going home. I don't know if it's just me. I can relate to Cleopas. I don't think ever in my life God has answered my prayers the way I wanted them answered. You pray for someone to be healed and they end up dying. You pray for God to get you that job and it doesn't happen you find out that somebody else got it. When you were a teenager, you prayed, God, if you'll just let that little girl fall in love with me. And she don't. She goes off with the quarterback. That's where Cleopas is living right now. I, I just knew he was the Messiah. I just knew he was the one. And now we're at the third day. He didn't come blowing into Jerusalem to throw the Romans out. He, didn't, he hadn't done anything like I wanted him to, and we're done. Me and the wife are on the way home. He goes on, talks about the rumor. Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels. Who said he was alive? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. They saw some amazing stuff, but they didn't see him. And that's what they want. They want him. They want him to banish all the problems from their lives. Throw the Romans out, make it all good. Hadn't done it the way they want it. We got nothing. So Jesus says to them, O foolish ones. Now they don't know this is Jesus. As far as they know, this is just some dude who's walking with them. They don't know that this is Jesus. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now notice here, Jesus could have easily just revealed himself and answered all the questions. Right? He is Jesus. Again, the delicious irony of the fact that Cleopas says, don't you know what's going on in Jerusalem? And he's talking to the one who knows all the details. And then now, Jesus, rather than revealing who he is to them at this point, he takes them to the Word. He starts telling them what the prophets have said. Didn't the prophets say that it was necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, the one that you've been looking for, the one that you're disappointed that Jesus wasn't in your mind right now, didn't they teach you that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If I think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the stories of Jesus, if uh, Marty McFly were to blow in here with a DeLorean, and I could hop in that bad boy and go anywhere in Jesus' ministry. Some maybe want to go see the Sermon on the Mount. Some maybe would want to see uh, the crucifixion, just to get an understanding of all that he did. Some maybe would like to go to see him teaching as that crippled from birth man is lowered down and see Jesus heal him. Me? I want to hear this sermon. <laughs> I want to hear Jesus walking these guys through the Old Testament saying, see this story about Moses and the guys in the wilderness? That's talking about the Messiah that's coming. Which this is, this verse changed the way that I look at the Bible. Okay, let me give you an example. And some of you have heard me allude to this before. One of my, and yours, and your children's, and everybody who's ever been a Christian's favorite Bible stories is David and Goliath. Love this story of David and Goliath. So here's Goliath. I I don't know if you guys remember, but we had a, a, a paper drawing of Goliath out on the wall. He was huge. He was like nine foot. I mean, this guy makes Andre the Giant look little. And he would come out every day and mock the armies of God. Hey, send somebody out. Come on, step up. Who's feeling froggy? Let's jump. Let's go. And here's David, 12, 13 years old, who's come to bring some sandwiches to his brother for his dad, And says, who is this guy running his mouth against the armies of God? David was silly and stupid enough to actually believe what the Bible said. Hey, who's he? His brothers say, shut up. He might hear you. Look at that guy. He's huge. David says, I'll fight him. He's just a little punk. you got to know what his brothers are thinking. Will you please shut your mouth? I'm going to give you a red belly and send you home. Teach you what a purple nurple is. After a whole bunch of things happen, David ends up proving to the king Saul that he had fought a lion and, and a bear in his shepherd work. So Saul, not having the guts to go meet Goliath, sends him out tried to put armor on him, but David, as we've said, was a little kid, and so Saul's armor didn't fit him. So he looked like a kid putting on his daddy's armor, and he's like, I can't wear this. So he goes out wearing shepherd's attire, picks up some rocks, and goes out. I want to read what it says, because it's just amazing. So David yells out at the Philistine and says, you come to me with sword and with a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. David did not care what that guy said. He didn't care how big he was, didn't care how many people he had defeated, didn't care how many how bloody his sword was from all the people he had overcame. What David was focused on was how mighty his God was. And so David stood up and said, You come to me with your weapons, and I come to you in the name of Yahweh, the God who was, who is, who is to come. David goes on I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom you have defied today. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of your buddies to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. So all the earth will know that there's a God and he reigns. The hair stands up on the back of my head just reading it. And I have spent my whole life hearing that story and being told, you can be little David if you just trust in the Lord. And so I've gone through life believing I could just got to have faith, and then I can be David and I can overcome the Philistines in my life. But Jesus, it says, starts with Moses and all the prophets, and he teaches them that all these scriptures are about him. All these stories, all of the law is painting a picture so that we have an idea of who Jesus is. You and I aren't David. In fact, in the story, the Israelite children are over in a corner weeping and throwing up and freaking out because David is walking out against Goliath. That's us if we've got to be in the story. We're the people going, ah! Who is David? That's Jesus. And here's the reason why that's important. There's sometimes when no matter how much you have faith, you can't pick up five rocks. There's sometimes, whether it's depression, whether it's physical ailment, whether it's just the fact that the sin is overcoming you and driving you in the ground. But if Jesus is David, he overcomes every time. My sin, my sickness, my brokenness is Goliath. And Jesus, representing uh, David, representing the entire nation of Israel, just like Jesus represents us, steps out before Goliath and, in the name of God, slays him. Jesus steps out and says, All of the sin, all of the punishment, all of the shame that Israel deserves, that I deserve, I will slay it. All the children of Israel were free from the Philistines once David did what he did. And you, because of the work that Jesus did, can be free. You don't want to be David because we fail. We're broken and we're weak. We're the brothers who think we have it all together. And so Jesus points out to them, not just this story, but throughout the Bible. The point of the Old Testament is me. That's the point. That's changed the way that I read the Old Testament. Now that as I'm reading, I'm looking for Jesus And now, Where's the Jesus in there? It's like, who's, where's Waldo? Now it's, where's Jesus? And that New Testament has a completely different meaning when I'm not looking for myself to be the hero in the stories, but I'm looking for him to be the heroes in the stories. And that frees me. I've shared with you that I, I'm struggling in some areas emotionally after having some physical issues, and I, I don't want to focus on that. It's messed with my mind. Because I've kind of always had this idea that I can control my health, right? And I've never thought of that as idolatry. I've just thought of it as doing, doing what I should be doing so that I can be... I mean, I've joked with Ann when she wants to talk about what are we doing for retirement. I'm like, well, I ain't going to worry about it. I ain't never retired. I mean, do you really see me playing golf somewhere? They'd run me off the field. And so, so that I'm physically and mentally able to to work at 75, so that this church has to run me off so they can hire a new preacher, I run and I lift and I do all these things because I'm going to control my health. And realizing that that's an illusion that I've painted. It takes one little blood clot going somewhere where it isn't. It takes one car turning left against red. It takes one little thing, and I'm done. I'm completely and totally dependent on God for my health. I'm completely and totally dependent on God for my mind. I'm completely and totally dependent on God for everything and that shouldn't be emasculating. That should be freeing because he can handle it. He's big enough to control things. He knows what's best for us. And he said every good gift and every perfect gift comes from me. I don't have to be in control. I don't have to be in charge. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to live off of cheeseburgers and greasy Cups and the most physical activity I'm going to do is walking to the gas station to get more Reese cups. But that does mean that that's an idol that can be slain. So Jesus points out all of the Bible is talking about Him. Do you remember which pocket I put that thing in? Front pocket. Ah, it's right there. Okay, that reminds me. I was preaching in a church one time and I lost my notes. Same sort of thing. I, stuck them in my pocket somewhere, and Emily was two or three, Um, and I was a guest speaker in this church and so I clearly had, couldn't find my notes, and I'm doing this, this number. And so I finally give up and do the best I can just following the text. And as, as the invitation started, I put my hands in my pockets like this. And when I did, I found my notes, and I pulled, pulled them out. It was very somber. You know, the invitation starting, and we're just as I am is starting to be played. And I pull my notes out, and Emily, from the back of the crowd, yells, He found them! <laughs> and just completely ruined everything. So he found it. Um, now i don 't even know where I was. Okay, so scripture's all things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. They got close to Emmaus, and then Jesus acted like he was going to go further, but they urged him strongly, saying, "Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent now this is um, this is a kind of an Asian culture thing, the whole no thank you. If they, we were told when we first got to the, the Middle East as missionaries, never take anything from someone until they've offered it three times because they, don't, they aren't really offering it until they've got to the third time. If somebody comes up and goes, you say, oh, that's a good looking sandwich. And they go, oh, here, you have it. You don't take it because they really don't want you to steal their sandwich. They're just being nice. And so you've, you've got this interplay going on where Jesus is like, well, all right, well I'm going to go on. And they're like, oh, please stay. And he's like, oh, right. We do the same thing in the South when it's time to go, right? You, you're, when you say, well, we better get going to the house, we're not really leaving. This just means we're going to stand up and stand at the door for 20 minutes. And then we're going to move from the door to out by the car. And then, well, well, we really do need to get going. These kids are, woo, And then you finally go. Same thing is going on here. This is just a, slow, uh, a uh, hot culture Sort of thing. And so when he, he he ends up going to dinner with them. So he's like, I better get going. And they're like, Oh, come on, go, why don't you come by and get something to eat first? Oh, I better not. And next thing you know, they're sitting at the table. And they're waiting on the waitress to to bring them the food. So when he's at the table, now the last remember how we talked about, and it it took us several weeks to go through it, so you may have forgotten that that Monday Thursday. From six o'clock in the morning when Jesus sends his disciples to go find some place to do the Passover meal until Good Friday when Jesus dies, it's nonstop. It's thing after thing after thing after thing. So it would be easy to forget that the last time that Cleopas and his wife saw Jesus and physically had an interaction with him would have been at the Lord's Supper because they left there and went to Gethsemane. And so when Jesus prays Thanksgiving over that bread and breaks the bread, their eyes are open, they realize it's Jesus. And then once they realize, them, they're like, Bye, ah, you're Jesus, he disappears. Matt and I do a, what uh, we did, a, a podcast on the, Revelation, the book of the Revelation. And as we were looking at the things that the book of the Revelation lays out that Jesus is capable of doing. We joke that, you know what, uh, uh, the superheroes that we have are super lame compared to all the stuff that Jesus can do. It's like Superman can fly faster than a spitting bullet, Jesus just can go, and he's there. Which is way cooler. Just saying. The hardest, I mean, I love going to Gatlinburg or Gulf Shores, but I hate that ride, right? If I could just, like, Be there? Well, I would be going to Gulf Shores the moment we're done with this sermon. Um, So he vanishes from their sight. So what do we do with this text? How we we button it up? They ended up. I I do want to say they said, "Oh wow!" When this guy was teaching, our hearts was burning within us, and so they had gone home. They immediately returned to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, "We saw Jesus. He's alive." They that truth of him being alive bubbled up out of their heart and they had to tell somebody. And I would say that there's an application there. Where we apply this is a thousand different places. The application there is if Jesus has actually shown himself to be alive in your life, you can't help but tell other people. I mean, we've talked about, I I can't get up here and guilt you into evangelism, but when something exciting and amazing happens into your life, nobody has to tell you that you have to share it, right? And the example that I always use is nobody had to sit the Auburn fans down and, after the kick six and say, I really need you to share this with some people, right? I guarantee you today on ESPN, somebody's gonna show a replay of the kick six. But, and everybody still talks about it. Did you, could you, oh my gosh, could you? And it's like, get over it. It's the one time you won and forever, And it was a fluke. Get that one through your head. That was close, Joe. I almost fell. (laughs) But I didn't. So we could focus on that. Here's where I... I, I, Okay, if we're just being real with each other, we all have moments where we doubt, right? Right? Every person in this room at some point in your life, whether it's in the midst of tragedy, that midnight phone call, that lazy Friday afternoon that turns into something that's life-changing, that call from the doctor's office, your test results have come in and I need you to come into my office and let's talk about this. Where we stop and we go, Am I really buying this? Am I really putting all my faith in some guy that I've never physically met that was alive 2,000 years ago? Am I really believing that when I close my eyes in death that my next step will be going home? Am I really believing that? We've all had those doubts. John the Baptist himself, who Jesus said was the greatest person who'd ever been born up to that time, that John the Baptist himself sent the disciples when he was in jail and said, hey, are you really the one? Jesus gives us a solution. He doesn't do some sort of magic trick, right? He doesn't reveal himself suddenly to these guys. He doesn't, he did, no, what he does is he takes them to Scripture. He takes them to the book, and in the book, they find the truth. I'm telling you, when you have those doubts, when you have those moments, run to the book. I can tell you, I go to the Book of Psalms and just park. I can go to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And then as I'm reading those stories and seeing how God showed himself mighty on behalf of the children of Israel, God starts reminding me how often in my life he's shown himself mighty. Run to the book and the book is enough. Father God, Lord, I thank you for this story. Lord I thank you that Jesus is the balm of Gilead. I thank you that He is the rose of Sharon. Lord, I thank you that He brings peace where there is no peace. And Lord, I thank you that Your word is sufficient. Lord, I pray for this congregation this morning. Lord, I know there are some in this room who all of this is foreign. They don't know you. So, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, there are some in this room who know you. They're just not living for you. They're not in your word. They're not in prayer. They're not sharing their faith. They're not giving of themselves. So, Lord, I pray that today they would confess and be forgiven. Lord, there are some in this room who are following you. They just don't have a church home. And so, Lord, I pray if it's your will that they would join with us and that they would serve their king with this congregation. Lord, I thank you for this story Lord, I thank you for how often in my life I've gone through blind, not realizing that you're walking right there with me. And I thank you for your word that reminds me that the fingerprints of Jesus are throughout this book. So, Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would see you in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.